0: No, your ass better
1: call somebody! Alright, cut the music. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Destination Debbie is proud to bring to you, it's Dynasty Tag Team Champions of the World! The McNutted Michael Crystal. The ATM Adam McFerrin. The 4D Chess Podcast. And of course, if you're not down with that, we've got two words for you. Welcome back in, everybody. We got another edition. Football Podcast coming at you right now. Glad to have you back. Appreciate you tuning in. Adam, what's going on? This is a special edition. We're recording on a Friday during the day. Day drinking. Wives are pissed <laughs> off. Let's go.
0: Playing hooky from work. We're here. Dynasty Degenerates. We got a special one for you. Um, right now, You know, Mike and I like to come to you week in and week out, but today is special because I want you to strap in. But before you do that, I want you to stand up. I want you to tuck your shirts in. I want you to stop yelling. Cause it's time to eat. Dynasty degenerates, welcome in, Nick Ercolano.
1: As as he's tucking his shirt in. Yo, oh, that, was, Jesus. that
2: was that was fire. You know, a lot of a lot of times uh I have my guys in here fuck around and make fun of me for like the intros that I do. And when and when they try to say like welcome bike or something like that, it comes off just I can't even. I can't listen to it. I can't watch it. It Makes me cringe down to my stomach. But what you just pulled right there, I'm I'm I mistaked you for me. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was beautiful. Listen, my I've been tucked. I've been watching yours for so long. I feel like I have the energy in me. You know, I mean, it came out. I I can clearly see it, and I I appreciate I appreciate the, the shirt tuck. Needed <laughs> to be done.
0: <laughs> the shirt tuck always needs done.
1: This man is out here in Destination W making videos this morning, putting them in Discord. Saying 87 good mornings, just like Rich, <laughs> and drinking bourbon. And now he's giving big dogs gotta eat intros for Nick Urcolano. Jesus, Adam, you're a man of the people.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And uh Dynasty Degenerates, we got a good one for you today. We got some we got a sharp, sharp fantasy and dynasty mine in here, Nick Urcolano. We're excited to get into it with you guys.
1: Yeah, I can't can't stress how excited we are to have you on, Nick. You're one of the best in the game, one of the ones that I started with, one of the ones Adam started with. Shit, you're probably the first love of Adam. <laughs> this is even crush here. I'll, I'll confess, I discovered you because of Mike and Noah back in the old bunk bed breakdowns. Like when I was getting into Dynasty, those two were killing it. Those two were on there, and I'm like, oh, wh- who the hell's BDGE? Oh shit, this guy Nick, he's pretty funny. <laughs> We watch his shit he's pretty sharp so yeah, i'm glad man. to have you on buddy
2: good good times mike and know I, I miss those guys they're not uh they're not a part of the brand anymore they'll always be a part of the brand and the brand story but they're off doing bigger and uh bigger and better things but yeah we wanted to get them out there and get the dynasty world uh eyeballs on us a little bit more and apparently it did its job but i'm i'm pumped to be here with you guys two cool ass dudes and uh, we're just gonna chop it up for for an hour about life liberty the pursuit of happiness and maybe some dynasty shit so Nick, love, let me I
1: love this. Let me ask you just starting off. How did you get into the game, into the space? Like what what triggered you to go like, "Hey, I'm going to be a content creator?" How did you how did that come about for you?
2: Um, it came it's kind of funny looking back on it like how pure and like genuine the start of me getting into content was, about how much I just truly wanted to help people. It was like a it was a fantasy league that me and my friends were in together in high school. And uh, probably a little bit before that, but we had played the first like five or six years out in this league, and I won a bunch of them, like the the large majority of the leagues that we played. I just kept winning over and over again, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm pretty fucking good at this thing." I kind of want to like help other people get good at this. I want to start making content, whatever it was. And my first thought was like, "I could, I could blog, right? I can, I can write my thoughts down." And I remember making my own. Uh, free website it was on WordPress I, I don't even remember what the name of it was but I would do some some light blogging on there and I would check uh the behind the scenes the kind of back end of stuff and I was like oh there's some like real organic traction happening here I have no idea why I was not promoting it I wasn't like telling my friends or family about any of this stuff I was just doing it but I would like send in my blog pieces to like all the shitty fucking websites that I would never ever think of wanting to work with or for anymore but like the bleacher reports and those guys they were like yeah sorry like thanks for the sample but you know we're we're not going to go ahead with you writing on our site and I was like you know what fuck writing man I don't like writing I don't like blogging it's not how I express myself well um, I'm gonna make videos I like being on the camera it's, it's way easier for me to convey my message this way it's the way I communicate best um, so I was like I'm gonna make videos where's the video platform that you know is is best right now for putting out content happened to be youtube there wasn't a lot of dudes doing youtube content at the time and the more and more seriously i took it like i told you guys pre-show um the more you know traction we got the more uh, opportunity came my way and the platform you know fortunately started to to grow a little bit so um that's the you know that's the light version of the story it went from blogging to to youtube and then as i've kind of progressed as um someone putting out fantasy content you know i've i've fell in love with the the idea of making content in itself and, and just branding and, and marketing and business and everything that comes in tune with it.
1: It's, it's incredible to watch from where I was first introduced to you to where you are now and, and the brand that you've built and every, all the success that you've had, you're sitting there telling me about it. And I'm thinking some of the same things like, man, fuck writing. I don't want to write. I don't want to write a damn article. If I'm going to write an article, it's going to be on Twitter like me f- arguing with somebody mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or in a discord. Everything that Adam and I have done or have built has grown organically from the sense that him and I just like to have conversations about fantasy football dynasty in particular. That's where we're at now. And it's led to podcasts. It's led to YouTube videos. So I really feel the fact that you're like, man, I started out. I tried to do it the way, you know, everybody else. Hey, you got to write and try to get on these companies and all. Fuck that shit, man. I don't want to write shit. Adam. Yep. You've been a longtime fan of Nick. When did you first discovered Nick's content like when did you first get into him it was like hey this guy's pretty good
0: I believe it Cause... was like 2018 um I was just scrolling through YouTube and like before that I would listened to you know the mainstream guys the Matthew Berries of the world all that and then I was you know just scrolling through videos on YouTube I found this guy I'm like I kind of I kind of like what he's putting down and I remember specifically one that I tuned into very early was the Miles Sanders one and I I too got very high on Miles Sanders and uh Unfortunately, that hasn't paid off, but a lot of <laughs> Nick Ercolano's videos have paid off huge dividends for me. Um, I've been in his Discord for a while in his highest tier, and uh, I can't stress to you guys enough that BDG, the people they have over there, um, their their content's amazing. Their dynasty and fantasy stuff is awesome. And now they have a, I mean, they have an office. Look, look at the setup that this man has. I mean, wow. Look at where he's at now. Yeah, I don't know. Enough
1: with the circle jerks. I don't know how
2: we got here, to be honest, (laughs) dude. But but I love you guys for supporting. Man, it means it means the fucking world to me. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 I don't know. It's it's been a crazy crazy journey. But listen, if there's anything I've learned from it, it's just like hard work and consistency gets you. Keep your intentions pure. Keep doing what you love. Keep working hard, and then sprinkle a little bit of working smart, and 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 you'll be there before you know it. Hey, you,
1: you've, helped, you've helped us incredibly. I mean, I remember Adam reaching out to me being like, hey, Nick's got some feedback for our first podcast that we ever did. And I'm like, holy shit. Really, Nick's giving me feedback? Get the, get the fuck out of here. This is incredible. But enough with the circle jerk. Nick, how many dynasty leagues are you playing in right now? How many? You, you got you got your own Discord community. You got your own Patreon set up. You've got Patreon leagues. How many of these things are you doing right now from the dynasty aspect of it?
2: I, I, want you, I actually want you guys to take a guess how many leagues I'm in. Dynasty specifically? Just dynasty. What is five? Fifteen. I'm in two leagues right now. Two wow. dynasty. Holy two. shit. I've cut I've cut down most of my leagues. Um I as I've gotten a little bit older, I have found a lot more enjoyment. So so this is another thing that I find a big difference between like myself and a lot of people in the dynasty space is um I I don't play dynasty for um, I don't know the right way. To play. I, I don't like play it for money. I don't play it for like the idea of, of the, like, I don't play any DFS. Like that does not intrigue me whatsoever. I could care less, like my entire, hopefully my whole brand and the way I play football is always about like the group chat, the engagement and like having fun with people. And when you start to scale up your leagues, you lose that per every new league that you add. So I'm like trying to go a little bit more like depth over with right now so i've been cutting out leagues that i'm just like these are just crazy and i joined them just because i wanted to catch a quick fucking nut in the startup draft and have fun and then i'm like damn i just added another league to my plate and i'm not even really with it right now so i'm in two dynasty leagues both of them i'm very very excited to be in the other part about it is like i'm still at heart a redraft guy i love playing season-long leagues and as we've kind of grown as a as a as a brand each year I find myself kind of getting dragged into new redraft. Like the opportunities are coming from like bigger places that I feel weird saying no to. Like I should definitely be in this league. And before I know it, I'll be in like seven redraft leagues. So it's like, you know, it office league, my high school buddies, my college buddies. And then we're, we're like hosting a few other things that we haven't really like announced yet to the public. But before I know it, we're going to have like nine leagues. So I'm like, fuck, I got to cool down with the dynasty stuff. Cause I know redraft will always be, our bread and butter. Cause we like to like emphasize, you know, shit talking to your high school buddies when you're in, in fantasy. And that's what our brand, I think like revolves more around. Absolutely. I man. I
1: was going to say, I completely understand that Adam from your and I's aspect. When we've had conversations about why we enjoy dynasty best ball and why we still keep like some of our lineup leagues, even though dynasty best ball is our preferred way to play. It's because of what Nick was saying with that com- camaraderie in the league chat, you know, the shit talking If mm-hmm. somebody makes a bad trade that somebody thinks that some players like a stud and you get to get in there and you get to clown the guy, you get to make fun of them. You get to have that back and forth. Those are the reasons I would never leave those lineup leagues, even though I don't really enjoy playing that style of dynasty. So you're talking about it when you do add more, man, I'm up to 25 plus at this point, And a lot of them, there's no chat, you know, there's a waivers run and that's pretty much it. A trade happens, maybe a little bit of chat here and there but there is a handful of four or five that I will never leave because in there it's every single day. Somebody's talking about, something. Hey, would you guys see this? Did you guys see this? It's like a discord community yeah. within sleeper. So I understand that from that aspect. I just never thought it'd only be two.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so- it wasn't. This is the first year I've actually like cut it down to the two. It was like a goal. I know everyone who's in fantasy is always like, I got to cut my leagues down. But this year I was like, I'm actually going to fucking do that. And I did, I, I did it through and now I'm happy. I'm settled down at like two and can really focus on those two. And then like, also the whole like team building and like player part of it gets it's crazy because you're playing against every single NFL player and you're also playing with every single NFL player when you're in 15 leagues so it's on Sundays you can't actually root for anyone and I found myself just being like I'm in 15 leagues this is the league I care the most about and that's the only league I'm really going to pay attention to and then it it, I catch myself slipping in other leagues where I'm like fuck I would have taking this guy on the waiver wire if i had a little bit more time but i am i don't know there's just too many problems with being in too many leagues man i'm not about I, it
0: i i totally understand where you're coming from with that and with being in only two leagues now you and i are in one of these two leagues i haven't gotten cut out of that league so
1: that's
0: good <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um fade the fetal Let, let's talk about you know your team maybe my team some other teams in there some strategy pieces for you in that league and maybe some of the dynasty Generals can apply to it how yes, you Steve. feeling about your team, man? You got a, you got a nice team. I know you got pits, which um based on your videos, will never leave
2: your team. Never fucking leave. Uh, let me ask you, how do you how do you feel about that like concept of that video that I made? It was basically like five, ten players that I will never trade off my dynasty team. It's it's not so much like you know, people took that so seriously, yeah. but it, that's really the way I actually play dynasty sometimes. So I'll say this.
0: I'm not I, I'm with you to to an extent on that like i'm not um someone i'll trade anybody but i'm with you basically i think what you're really saying is you're gonna have to pay way over market if you actually want to get these guys off my team that's where i'm at like there are some players on my teams where i'm like you know what market says this but i'm not trading you kyle pitts unless on this
2: build unless you're gonna way overpay like you're gonna have to basically send me something crazy yeah, like you send me a trade calculator screenshot where it's an even trade. There's it's an auto decline. You send me a trade, even if it's plus 50 points on my side, like still not doing it because I'd rather see Kyle Pitts's career through, you know, maybe in a year I'm wrong. But I like I would rather take the chance on the upside. So it's like you got to send me something so egregious that you don't even want to send it, which was like yeah. kind of the point, you know? Yeah,
0: basically, unless you're coming with way over asking, you're you're, you're never going to get him off my team. So I'm with you in that extent.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of how I sorry. What's up?
1: I was going to say, if you take what you said in that video word for if you take just the title and you're like, oh, he's never trading these guys. I can see where people would lose their shit. But if you actually dive into the context of it, it's exactly what you're talking about. Because like, say, if I'm in a start nine, small starting lineup and I have Jonathan Taylor as a contender, of course, his value is like three first. But why the fuck would I trade you for market value, Jonathan Taylor? He means more to me on my team right fucking now to help me win this title. Than the three first, like you better come with four or four plus or or whatever. Like it has to be something extremely enticing for me to get rid of them. So if you actually dive into the context of your video, it makes sense. If you just look at the headline, you're like, holy shit, he's crazy. You can't have guys that you never trade. It's stupid.
2: Well, for one, like JT, I actually don't – you could offer me five first. I don't think he, – he's a championship winner. Like, he straight up will win you your league. And I'm like, I don't want five dart throws, no matter how early they are in drafts. For that. I'd rather just try to fucking win a league. But there, that's, like, kind of the um the, the avenue I took for fade the field because this was the first Dynasty League in that I went into it with an actual strategy of saying, like, I'm only taking young dudes and I'm going to try to rebuild for the next, like – two or three years. So I took only rookies and sophomores. I traded away some of the capital in that draft to pick up three first rounders, a couple second rounders for this year. And I, again, I, I typically don't do that shit because I like to compete at all times. I don't care if my team's going to be the si- I've won plenty of dynasty championships being the sixth seed to sneak into the playoffs and then go on a weird two week run and, and take home the hardware. So I don't t- typically like to play that way. A lot of people, um, love to just like sink into the first year of Dynasty and being like, yep, we'll just rebuild it again. And it's, it's also like, there's real money involved in that. So like the higher the stakes, the league is like, you're also sinking in 300, $400. And I feel like that's kind of clown behavior if you're just doing that over <laughs> and over and over again. So not typically what I do, but that was the first time I did it with this team. And I'll be honest, it's really, it's actually really fun. Cause you get to like build a team, you get the first round draft picks, you get a lot of young, exciting players who haven't come to fruition yet. So you have a lot of like upside and encouragement And I tried to do that, taking guys like, you know, Rashad Bateman and Kyle Pitts, which is this is like a super tight end premium league. Um, Travis Etienne was a guy that I'm super high on. Obviously, he had the injury, but those are like the key players of the team that I'm super excited to see what their ceilings look like, um, whether or not they actually hit those. I took Saquon as my first rounder, which was clearly a mistake at the time, because there are a lot of players that I could have built a younger uh, team with. But now I'm sitting there with Saquon. I'm just like, fuck it. Like, I'm I'm gonna just kind of let it run through with Saquon.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting you telling me that that was the first time we've done this, because as I'm watching the draft unfold, I remember the startup draft like yesterday. I'm like, damn, Nick is cleaning up. Justin Fields, Kyle Pitts. Like this is this is going to be a productive struggle that we're not going to want to see next year or the following year. And it's kind of shaped up to be where you're you're in a really nice position. You still have all your future picks in 23. Right. So you can leverage those if you want to.
2: Like this team is young, but I could totally
0: see where it pushes this year.
2: It can. Yeah. I need a, a few things to break right here. Like if Saquon and Travis ETM both stay healthy, uh, we, we have like the the skeleton for the team to do well. I would say if I had to, if I had to estimate whether or not I'd be like a real playoff contender this year, I'm probably leaning more towards, um, it not happening because I, I probably need a little bit more from Justin Fields in terms of like a ceiling. Hopefully he, he hits a little bit this year, but, um, I don't know. I, we're probably still a year away from being a real contender, but I do love where we've kind of set up because we have a lot of those like pieces where we have, you know, Irv Smith, Alberto, Jalen Tolbert, Kadarius Toney, uh, Isaiah Spiller, Ramondre Stevenson, Khalil Herbert, like sitting on the bench, right? Like those are guys who not guaranteed whatsoever, but, you know, two or three of those guys break right and be top 15 at their position. Then we're looking at a, a whole different outlook and that shit happens every single year. That's why you take those darts on the first, second, third year players um, in Dynasty and kind of like load your roster with that. Man, it's so it's
0: so interesting too. Uh this is one thing I, one of the things I respect about you, and sometimes people in the space, it just drives me crazy. Like they, they don't even apply what they what they're saying. Two of the people on his five players are not trading the dynasty. They're on his team and fade the Fetal, right? Practice what you preach. I love seeing
2: that. He's got Tony and he's got Pitts, and they're not fucking leaving. <laughs> they're not they're not fucking leaving, man. <laughs> I think ETN might have been on that list too. I tell you what, too. It's funny being a content creator because like I drop a video like that. And you fucking better believe three of the people in Fade the Fetal were ripping off trade offers to see if I gave those players up. I was like, you better fucking come correct if you think those guys are leaving my team because they're not. Get the they're fuck like,
0: off pits, man. He's not leaving, you know? Yeah, he ain't,
2: fucking, he ain't fucking
1: leaving. The Raptors in the first Jurassic Park, they got to test defenses, right? Looking yes. for weaknesses. Speaking of Justin Fields, right, you named him off on your team that you expect more from. Him? Let's just dive into one player here, Justin Fields. What are your expectations? Like you said, you you really love your redraft. In redraft, I just did a mock on another channel on Monday, topped on a podcast and did one, and they they talked a little bit about Justin Fields. I think for me, from a dynasty aspect, I'm very excited for him in dynasty. In redraft, can you kind of see him having, like, maybe a Jalen Hurts-type type year, like, like he had last year, where he just doesn't have much around him, but he's going to have to run so damn much that you could see maybe a QB1 upside in him for this Man. year coming up?
2: Fields, uh... It it feels like the the smoke is very, very, like it's very clear to see that there's a ton of negative energy coming out of Chicago when it comes to Justin Fields. They're not building around him, like the new system, They get rid of weapons rather than adding weapons for him. And a lot of me feels like for redraft, I don't see myself coming close to him. Maybe if, if I do all super flex leagues basically, and if he drops to my quarterback three spot and I get him at a nice value or whatever, but he's definitely not a guy I'm going out of my way to target if he is going to be good in the NFL it's not going to come this year it'll be like a step forward i think I, I think we'll see like okay we saw some good glimpses out of justin fields he looked more accurate he looked more comfortable he had some big rushing games the way i kind of feel about fields is um i think a lot of people will fall back on a take that just centers around his athleticism and it feels a little bit lazy to me to be like oh he's a rushing quarterback he's going to have the upside but yeah, he's a rushing quarterback, but I feel like more often than not, his passing games are going to be like 190 yards, 220 yards, one touchdown, one interception, one, two uh, interceptions, shit like that. And at the end of the, at the end of the year, it's like, yeah, it was the Chicago Bears. They don't have a good offensive line. They have no fucking weapons for him to work to. So if you want to hinge the entire argument on Fields being an athlete and you weirdly projecting him to have like 60 rushing yards a game, 45 rushing yards a game. Sure. But like, I don't know. I, I, I don't see a lot of weekly upside for Justin Fields. So I'm, I'm out on him in redraft. I'm just I'm hoping that we see something from him for uh, for Dynasty. That's a pretty interesting take.
0: I, I, I'm kind of with you, though. It's I think he probably has a, a somewhat of a decent floor, like a QB two floor because he's going to run. But at the same time, with that offense isn't really scoring a lot of points and isn't a lot of scoring opportunities, he doesn't really offer that weekly upside that you're going to see
2: 12 plus, if not more, quarterbacks offer weekly. Yeah that that's like one of the things I see too it's like you think of any time a player's athletic people automatically just shoot to like ceiling he's got this ceiling and it's like yeah like a player in a raw vacuum can have a ceiling but like if you don't take the situation into effect man it's like you've got to lower that ceiling a little bit. And it's how good, how good could any quarterback be in the Chicago bears offense? Like, that's what you have to ask yourself. You put the best quarterback there. Maybe like Lamar Jackson could be a good fantasy player in the bears offense, because he's a raw fucking runner. Who's going to put up those 60, 70 rushing yards, whatever, ever, every other week or something like that. But like, that there aren't many quarterbacks that will succeed. So, you want to you say this is a quarterback who we've yet actually seen succeed by himself in the NFL at all. Now, in arguably the worst offensive situation in the NFL, there's just, you know, l- like you said, I think people are looking at it backwards. It's like he's probably got a little bit of a floor, but his ceiling is probably not as high as people want to make it out to be. But people will flip that and say, you know, his floor is so far down, but his ceiling because he's athletic is so high. And I just, I just don't think that's correct. Yeah, that, that, at- that's 100% right.
1: I I just kind of it's hard for me to do it because I, I I'm kind of on the opposite spectrum like a little bit of pushback that'll give like Jalen Hurst didn't have a great situation last year it was Devontae Smith as a weapon and a bunch of shitters all yeah. of them I mean that sorry Dallas Goddard don't let me don't <laughs> let me offend the goat Dallas Goddard
2: but- was more offensive to to Miles Sanders bro <laughs> I'll never yeah. live that shit down I'll We're be getting comments about that for the rest of my life. Nick, we're hey. we're all recovering Miles uh, sanders stands here, so don't, it's don't,
1: don't worry, Nick. Like he yeah. was on our buy list for both of us last year. Okay. So uh,
2: oh, last yeah. year, okay. I, yeah. I got off him as soon as he killed me a couple of years ago.
1: <laughs> I'm still on him. I still yeah. have all maybe the shares. Maybe put the of bourbon them. down. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> mine's, mine's UV blue. Adam sticks to the bourbon. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more beta. <laughs> Justin Fields, when I look at him last year, it's kind of the same situation as Jalen Hurts had for me at least. And I think Justin Fields, like you mentioned, he's a little more athletic and he definitely has a better arm for me. I would say this, one of the things I look at for the last part of the year for Justin Fields is he played pretty well down the stretch. I mean, he was a QB1 for, what, four of the last five weeks that he actually played? And that was against teams like San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Uh, Green Bay, et cetera, like teams with pretty decent defenses. So when I look at Justin Fields from this context, I'm like, I could see some upside where if he uses that athleticism, like he did towards the end of the season when he was playing, it's something that I can get behind and I can get excited about.
0: All right. So the jury's still out on Justin Fields. We'll we'll see what happens with him this year. Nick, I want to ask you a little bit about my team, some things you may or may not have seen, you know, in that two dynasty leagues you're in. You wake up one day and you see a trade go down and it's Najee Harris for Deshaun Watson. Give me, you know, what's running through your mind at the time and what's your take on that deal is now,
2: man, it's like, it's tough. This is one of those situations where dynasty is, is such a fickle little sport because every piece of news that comes out sways the value of somebody so heavily. And it's like for a, for a while this offseason, it felt like, Watson's value as it pertains only to fantasy was kind of like slowly creeping up and we assumed that he was gonna play, and you know, things would be okay for him on the field. And then out of nowhere, it was like case number twenty five pops up, case number twenty six pops up, and like the media starts rallying against him again. And you're like, okay, this is worst case scenario. Watson's probably not getting on the field this year at all, right? And who knows if this is the time that the NFL finally is like, where you know we're putting our foot down and we're we're going we're going to like make sure he doesn't step foot on the field again or he gets a two-year suspension or some shit like that like you never know anyways like when that trade happened it was in the midst of one of those bad news cycles when these new players or these new cases started coming out so i'm like okay if i have watson on my team if i can get anything remotely sexy for this right now i'm pulling the trigger and the fact that you got like naji harris is i'm not sure where his adp is in startups right now but i'm assuming it's I mean, Superflexy he probably drops into like the early second round, but he, he's, he's still late
0: first round, actually.
2: That's what I'm saying. I did a one quarterback mock draft startup mock a few weeks ago with like people in the industry and Najee went at the 104. I'm like, wow. I'm like, dude, you know, and it's hard to even argue against that. I, I wouldn't personally do it, but like the fact that you can get someone of, you know, not equal value when they're both on the field, but in the midst of all the fucking turmoil is crazy, man, to project best case scenario for Watson. Everyone's like, as soon as he steps back on the field, you know, he's a top five fantasy quarterback, but it's like, man, how could you even say that anywhere near confidently right now with all the bullshit going on? So I thought that was a fucking phenomenal move by you.
0: I mean, the the crazy part was it was last week we're recording this show and the trade offer comes across to me and I'm like, it's one of those where normally like I'm thinking smash, but I'm also like, hold on, let me think about this for a second. Am I getting played here? Like, let me make sure I'm doing the right thing, and then I eventually take the deal. But yet, basically to what you're saying, for me, I tend to like to have players that can accrue value or are on the field, and especially as we get closer to the season, people want players that are in their lineup versus not going to play at all. So for me, getting off of Watson, as he's probably going to trend down in value, Najee may not trend up. He's already probably near his peak, but I can move that, and he's in my lineup now. Interestingly enough, though, about this, the, the micro dynamics to me was a little bit of the hesitation initially is I feel like now um, my team was kind of hinging on Deshaun Watson coming back and being the quarterback in my lineup. Now all I have is Tua and Danny Dimes. And to go acquire quarterbacks in Superflex and Dynasty without sending one away is just it, it, it's a chore that's not fun, right? So now I have five running backs that are really good, but I have to leverage them and leveraging them to get a quarterback is going to be tough so the microdynamics for me i have my work cut out for me but i i'm
2: with you 100
0: that's why i made the deal
2: yeah dynasty trades are um as crazy as they are and it feels like dynasty trades are like the most hectic fucking things to try to get done they usually work out better because if you're in a redraft league right like you're in a one-year sprint everyone's goal is exactly the same when you're in a dynasty draft, like you could look at what Senate's previous moves were and you could tell he was like moving into a rebuild mode. So he was like, I don't really care if Deshaun Watson's not playing this year. I'm going to bet on the fact that he's on the field next year. Right. So that also plays into the, into the fact of it. Like, especially if you're making trades week eight, 10, 12 of a dynasty league where someone knows they're a contender. Someone knows they're out of the playoff run. Those trades are very easy to make. So I understood, I guess where the trade was coming from. I just like, Even in a rebuild, I don't feel confident taking Watson. And on the quarterback note, man, yeah, that's really tough. If there's like two things I've learned, though, I don't think you need – like my the other Dynasty League I'm in, I've been rolling with Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, and Cam Newton as my three quarterbacks for like the last five years in that league. I've won a championship in that league. And and since the day I drafted them, like five years ago, I was like, damn, I'm going to have to start looking for my future quarterbacks. These older quarterbacks, man, you don't need to have elite upper tier quarterback play, even in super flex in dynasty, man. As long as you have two starters to throw into your lineup, you're good. But on that point, they'll, they will never, ever be cheaper quarterbacks in super flex than in the startup draft or the rookie draft. So it is yeah. so fucking hard to acquire them because there are no replacements. There's 32 every single week that can play where that's not the case for wide receivers, not the case for running backs, not the case for tight ends. You could always find – floater points you could always find a tight end on the waiver wire that's going to give you 2.3 points that week can't do it with quarterbacks very 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 tough um so yeah i mean you're going to have to probably make some moves for it but like i really don't think quarterbacks matter as much in terms of putting a championship team together as they're made out to uh matter when it comes to super flex stuff yeah i think you hit it on the
0: head too with if as long as you have two actual starters that are going to project to play the full snap share you're okay if you don't if one gets hurt and you have a sur- if you, and you don't have a surplus and you have to start a regular player in your super flex spot that's so suboptimal. So it's yeah. really hinging between those two and then the other part to getting back to senate which is where like we talk a lot about dynasty strategy for me if you're going to make that move. One, I think he probably could have gotten something on the plus side for Watson. But even if you're going to make that move, where I really struggled with what he was doing was like I need to have my 23 first. If I'm about to tank. Like making that move to go tank and then now Tony, your boy, fake intern Tony, sitting on Senate's freaking 101, 102, 103. Yeah, don't worry. Like, I hear about it like daily. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gotta go get my 23 first back, and then I'll make that move. I think now he's never gonna get that take back.
2: He's he's trying over here. The the amount of like trade offers we get from Senate on the daily, he was trying to move Najee Harris to me for a long time, but he wanted all my young pieces. He was like etn and rashad bateman for um for naji and i'm like listen i like naji of course but i don't naji for me is a piece that's going to help you contend right now and next year right and then before you know it he's 26 27 and he's probably in that like you know spot where you might want to start entertaining trade offers for him but for me i mean i'm a very young fucking team like again and travis etn bateman are guys that i want to see through right if you want to get those guys for me in a package especially like you need to offer me something that's overvalued right so i'm yeah. just i'm just gonna sit on that but we get the trade offers from him all the time it's clear he was trying to go straight into rebuild mode and um i think he's been trying to get that first round pick back from tony but tony's like fuck that i think it's almost like a personal thing now to be honest
0: yeah it's like a vendetta. tony fake intern tony stand your ground uh he's gonna send you offers for the rest of eternity until the draft comes up so just be ready mm-hmm.
1: one of the weird things about the deshaun watson thing where you guys were talking about it, there let's think about calvin ridley Nick, in your opinion, like Calvin Ridley, if he was playing this year that wasn't a suspension, like he's easily a top 24 dynasty wide receiver, I would say. I don't think that's a stretch to say. Like he might even be top 15 for a lot of people. Like Calvin Ridley is pretty goddamn good at football, yeah. but he's not playing for a year. We're talking about people coming to us and being like, hey, should I buy Calvin Ridley for a third round pick? Fuck yeah, why not? Take a shot on Calvin Ridley. We know he's not playing this year, but third round pick, he already has that discount built in. You're trading a first round startup guy in Najee Harris for a quarterback who's. I think we can all safely assume at this point, probably not playing this year. It's probably not happening. You're, you're right when you said there, there's some time where it was like maybe he gets six games and it gets reduced to four. Or maybe it's eight games reduced to six. As the media keeps piling on and the public pressure keeps coming out, I think it's pretty safe to assume that he's getting at least a year at this point. There's no discount there if you're trading a Najee Harris for a, a Deshaun Watson right now. There, there's none, absolutely none. It's not like the Calvin Ridley situation where it's like, hey, if he was playing, he'll be top fifteen at this point. Well, that's cool. He's not playing, so he's not valued at top fifteen right now. You yeah. take the discount. I'm I'm not in on like paying for guys when you don't get the discount. There, there's really no sense to it. It'd be like paying two first last year for Travis Etienne after he got hurt. It just doesn't make any sense. Like you're paying market value for something that's not worth that right now.
2: Yeah. Two, two things there, that Falcon's helmet right back there. uh, <laughs> I, that is a Calvin Ridley signed helmet that I put up in my background, oh, no. like two weeks before he got s- his suspended. I remember we were making a vlog. We were doing like a little <laughs> tour of the office and I was like, yeah, this is a Calvin Ridley signed helmet. I have a feeling for whatever reason, this is going to age poorly. And then literally two weeks later, the motherfucker gets suspended. I think there's like a little bit of a differing, um stance from dynasty players on the two though like the comparison and and the point you're making makes a ton of sense but ridley and position players in particular it's like taking one year off is almost like a death sentence cuz you really only have like six good years as a yeah. pro and it's not like ridley was 22 you know like by the time he comes back if everything goes perfect, you have Ridley at what, like 27, 28 years old? And that's yeah. about the time when people start thinking about moving players in dynasty. So I think the fall off for Ridley makes a lot of sense because there's hesitation about who he's going to be when he comes back as an older player. You look at Watson and he still feels like he's like 23 years old. You think you got another 10 years out of him if he if he comes back and starts playing. So the, the dichotomy there is tough because the quarterback age range is so much wider. So I guess it gives him a little bit more – like leverage in trade situations. But yeah, man, I, I, I think um, being a little bit more risk um, risk forward is probably a smarter way to play. It's so it's like, it's like trying to time the market, man, like the economy, the stocks, like you'll never ever be able to time that shit correctly. You don't know what goes into actually moving a place, a, a player or a piece or, or an actual business or a stock. You kind of got to look at it the same way because we only hear one report that goes live on Twitter. But there are so many conversations that happen behind closed doors. Like one beat reporter might say like, oh, it looks like Watson's going to get six games. There might be six lawyers in a meeting behind closed doors that like that report, that guy's a fucking idiot. Like he's definitely out for a year. We just don't see that part. So trying to time a market based on like one random one-off thing you hear once is something that will get you into a ton of trouble. So it's like, I don't know, just, just um, play it as if you don't know anything realistically.
1: Is your, is your Falcons boy. Kyle Pitts, is he the toughest player to trade for in Dynasty right now in tight end premium leagues? Any substance of tight end premium leagues. Now you're just standard, but if you got one and a half points or two points or 1.75 or start two tight ends, I think your boy Kyle Pitts might be the toughest player to try to go acquire in Dynasty at this point.
2: He's got to be, yeah. And any tight end premium, it's got to be Pitts. I would say like same tier trade-wise, it's the JT, Josh Allen, and Superflex as well. Those three are definitely like the big three in terms of just untradableness, like unfuckwithable. Like you cannot come in with offers if you're trying to get those three for my team. You got the tier under that, I think, is like Jamar Chase. And I don't know, dude, Kyle Pitt. It's, it's like the, the tight end conundrum is... We wait so long for some of these guys to break out. And this dude just not only did he do it as a rookie, but he did it as a really young rookie. Like he didn't come in at 22, 23 and do this. He did it at 20. So it's like, yo, he could be four years into his career and still be younger than when a lot of these top dudes broke out. Like the Kelsey's, the Kittles, the Andrews and shit. So it's like, you—you, you, what is the ceiling? Could he be the greatest receiving tight end of all time? Like maybe if I have him on my fucking team, I'm, I'm going to find out. Man, that's 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 interesting. A couple points there, too,
0: is that, okay? one, he did that, too. We talked about Calvin Ridley not playing this coming up season. He didn't play for a lot of last year. And when he was gone, Kyle Pitts has seen bracket coverage, double teams like and he still put up the most receiving yards ever in NFL history for a tight end. And really, like the sharper people, I think you'll see this with them. They realize that he did that at 20. And the only thing that kept him out of being the elite tight end scorers is touchdowns. Right? So if there's positive touchdown regression, and he's 21, and he's that type of upside, I mean, you're talking about basically a true unicorn, which you, you never see. And to that point about uh, the dynasty thing, acquiring him, Nick, let me ask you if you would take this deal, because I sent this in a start nine dynasty league, all right? Okay. A 223 first, a 24 first, and 223 seconds for your Two. Kyle Parrish. Okay. So I'll say it again, 223 okay. first. Okay. Okay. A 24 first. So we're at three firsts and two twenty-three seconds for Kyle Pitts. And he pressed decline. What's the scoring in that? Uh that is a 1.5 tight end premium. So it's 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 uh one point PPR for receivers. It's actually, just like our fade the fetal league, uh, Nick, it's a half point PPR for running backs, a full point for wide receivers, one point five for tight ends.
2: Man, that's that's like uh that's right on the that's right on the button there. That's that's a trade that I would consider. Honestly, it would probably depend on how I felt that day. Like, yeah. However, I, if I was drinking bourbon at noon, I might hit accept on that. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm probably sitting on Kyle Pitts and seeing how that plays out because in a 1.5 tight end league, that's like uh you know that's like having the C Mac in his prime. That's like having Jonathan Taylor. He can be a guy that averages. I consider a league winner someone in half PPR circles that averages like 20 points per game, right? If you can average over 20 points per game, that team is almost definitely sliding into the playoffs. If you could put a few other good pieces around it. So in a 1.5 PPR tight end premium league Pitts Pitts will get there for sure at one point in his career. So if I, if I, if I feel that way, if, if in my heart, I'm like, okay, this guy's a 20 point per game plus player. He's a guy that again, probably goes back to being untradeable for me because he's a guy that actually wins you um, a championship and Pitch is so interesting because, like, you could make – I can make a case here for why uh, his statistics were good last year, but he actually wasn't. Like, 40% of all of his production, receptions, receiving yards, fantasy points came in three games against really shitty defenses, like Jets, Lions, I can't remember, maybe the Dolphins when they were really bad in the beginning of the season. So you could paint that picture, but because he's so young and it was his first year, like – you you should easily be willing to just write all of that off be like he still fucking did it like at the end of the year he had those numbers he had that production regardless of all the bullshit that you want to paint and i feel like a lot of people in dynasty do that right they, they like to paint the narrative against a player if they don't like them and they pinpoint all these things but at the end of the day it's like Pitts is like a guy that you can't really take anything away from and, go ahead right.
1: i i've made the the switch the case to now in startup drafts in auction drafts whatever the case is It's pretty much Kyle Pitts or Kyle Pitts or bust for me. Like that's the guy I want at the tight end position. And then fuck, fuck the rest of them. Like I don't. Mm
2: -hmm. Kelsey's
1: fine. Waller's fine. I'm an Iowa fan. I love T.J. Hawkinson, but I'm not. I'm not going to spend or pay what they cost unless they become like a stupid, stupid value. I'll just wait and I'll get Noah Fant in the 11th. I'll get Hunter Henry in the 13th. I'll get you know some of the Evan Ingram in the 15th, 16th. Kyle Pitts has become that player where it's just like no matter how much you want to put against him and Adam and I were against him last year and and it wasn't because of Kyle Pitts the talent it had nothing to do with the talent it was just the hype and and where people were taking him in rookie drafts last year and it was like oh you have to take Kyle Pitts you have to take Kyle Pitts you have to take Kyle Pitts you're never going to get him again you're never going to get him again and that was my pushback at the time was like he's still a rookie he's still a tight end he's going to have moments and and you know, as a Falcons fan, there was a stretch there where like people were shitting on Kyle Pitts in season. Mm-hmm. People were, were trading him away where you could go get Kyle Pitts. So that was a huge pushback. But now that we've seen it, we've seen him establish, you know, rookie records. We've seen him operate as the number one in an offense, draw number one fucking cornerbacks in coverage and, and still go out there and produce, even though, like you mentioned, it was just a handful of games. We've seen it. I think it's wheels up for Kyle Pitts, and he has really become the Kyle Pitts or bust for me. Like, I will I will draft Kyle Pitts in the first round, or I'll just fuck off on on tight end until 10, 11, 12, 13. Fuck it, and I'll backfill with turds.
2: Let me let me ask you, y'all play uh, redraft still season long, or do you only do dynasty? Yeah, yeah, we do. I, I do.
0: I should say that. I do Two-0. definitely play redraft.
2: Okay. You guys, uh, you know, there's, there's a debate each year where people will ask whether or not you would take – Um, like Travis Kelsey, would you ever take a tight end in the first round?
1: I I did it last year in redraft, and I fucking hated it. It was the worst thing – worst decision I've ever made in my entire life. (laughs) I'm I'm divorced with three kids, so i made a lot (laughs) of bad fucking decisions. Uh,
0: All right, I'm glad you said that because I wasn't going to – I wanted to, but I wasn't going to go there. So, um, man, that's a bad decision. Uh, I have not taken a tight end in the first round – Second, you're... third, maybe if you're talking an elite one, but I just, I cannot make that type of investment in tight end. I
2: just can't do it. It's because, yeah, and, and it, I, dude, it makes me, I hate when motherfuckers come out and be like, yeah, Travis Kelsey's worth the first round pick. It's like, here's a, here's a problem. Like dynasty leagues and dynasty players are way more, they're like ahead of the chain in terms of evolution, which means their league settings are always ahead of the chain. And when you're playing in 1.5 tight end premium leagues, a Kyle Pitts is as valuable as a Christian McCaffrey, as a Jonathan Taylor. Never, you you never play in redraft or season long leagues because you're always playing with your high school or college buddies or or office mates or whatever. You're not going to convince them to play in 1.5 PPR tight end leagues where your halfbacks are going. for You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense taking tight ends when the scoring format is all equal. Yes. So with the Kyle Pitts, people I think people are still stuck on like the tight ends are not a positional advantage player. The tight ends are not as good as running backs. But when you're playing in leagues where that setting is not the case anymore where they have the advantage of the top tight ends being elite and being game changers and having such a positional advantage over the tight end seven or whatever. You have to start looking at, at the Kyle Pitts who are 20 when you're drafting guys running backs that are 24, or 25, but they're going to be scoring the same amount of points per game just for a much longer period. Like that's the, that's the way you got to be looking at Kyle Pitts now. Man. The only way
1: in redraft I can get behind it is maybe at the turn. You know what I mean? You get to the turn of round one, and if you took Kelsey or you took whoever the fuck else afterwards or Kyle Pitts in this case yeah. I'd understand it but like i've seen people who'd like take him at the 104 or the 105 why, Ask why what what what's the point because in the second round coming back you could get like if you were really the i need the tight end elite i need the premium whatever yeah. You could get an Andrews, or you could get a Waller, or a Kittle, or something. And you along still those feel lines.
2: grimy doing that, bro. Like you really it still only, feels gross. Still you only, gross. yeah. You only need to learn the first round tight end pick lesson one time. You only need to do that one time,
0: <laughs> man. And, and you know what's interesting about Pitts, too? Uh, a couple things that we haven't touched on, and then we can maybe move to a different player. We're we're out here, Kyle Pitts, uh, just <laughs> blowing this man, but. We have just down Pitt Atlanta show. all day, baby. It's,
1: it's the Kyle Pitts show, right? Nick's I think the, now you know, that I know that Nick has
0: this Calvin Ridley helmet in the background, we're just going to talk Falcons all day, but you, you hit on a point with Calvin Ridley and, and skill players, right? The thing about Pitts that's interesting, especially is being that he's a 21, right? You can project him now seeing that he's been that good as a rookie for more than the average window for a skill player. It's at the most scarce position and he's going to give you that elite tier for the longest period of time. So in Dynasty, like, it's it's literally one of the only things. And, and then the other crazy part about it is, I saw this stat today, he played in the slot over 75% of snaps. So it's like, not only is he young, not only is he super athletic and an enigma, but he's really a tight end that's being categorized as one, but isn't, right? And he's being utilized as a receiver, so it's like, Dude, it's like, Everything about him is different than everyone else.
2: The more we talk about it, the more we're like talking ourselves into – if it's a tight end premium league, like the 105, the 106, is like not that crazy to draft a dude like Kyle Pitts. Man, and, and you know what? Now so your fucking bitch. video
0: is making me think, you know what? Yeah, Nick Ercolano right. I'm not trading Kyle Pitts.
1: Fuck you. <laughs> so you know? Adam, thank bitch. you. Look how far we've come, Adam. <laughs> we've come from dunking on Kyle Pitts to – you fast forward we we found
0: every person that took Kyle Pitts in rookie drafts at 102-103, and now we would easily do that again. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah.
1: Great A- as two guys who are adamant Antonio Gibson defenders, where are oh, you no. at oh, with no. fucking Antonio Gibson right now? I need an outside opinion because I see all the shit on Twitter, but Adam and I are out here, John Snow this motherfucker against the whore, just the sword up, let's go. Where are you at with him?
2: Go ahead and break our hearts if you must. Dude, he just like – he was so exciting coming into the league, and it feels like – it feels a lot like Joe Mixon, where you watch it and he'll produce sometimes – But there you ever like been in a relationship where you're like, damn, I really want this to work. But there's just like the X factor is missing there. There's something you can't really put your finger on it. And it's like, I'm not sure what it is. Like, I really want this to work, but it's just not working. The, The thing that you said there, when you have to ask yourself, I want this to work and you you know it's not
0: gonna work when you have to say that too much, right?
2: Hundred percent. Yep. as soon as you got to ask yourself the question, that means it's not naturally feel That's how I feel about Antonio Gibson. It's like he's supposed to have the juice, but like we never really see the juice out of him. You know, like the raw numbers and the athleticism are there. Like we know he can catch passes, but like the Memphis highlight tapes are just not something that we're seeing on the field at the NFL level. And I don't want to write him off. Like he's got all the fucking raw tools to really put it together at some point, but. Maybe it was the injury last year, and it's very fucking obvious what Ron Rivera wants to do this year, and it's use a committee in the same way that Cincinnati has not wanted to commit to Joe Mixon in the passing game. They have not wanted to commit to to Antonio Gibson in the passing game, and now they add Brian Robinson into the mix, and it just feels like it's one of those situations where he'll have the highlights, but... At uh, you good over there? You throwing a fucking party? <laughs>
0: you, you see this? Uh, the 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 electricity is freaking out, man. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. The,
1: the, the listeners can't hear this, but Adam's fucking house is right?
0: <laughs> on oh, black
2: and white. Fucking... Yeah. I'm
1: um, waiting for. I'm
0: think, waiting I think for one I of think those, the, uh... I think the I think the gods are speaking against all this this Gibson hate. But go ahead.
2: They're like, we're gonna strike your ass down. I feel like you. Yeah, I ah, dude, Gibson is uh, it, it's like where there's smoke, there's fire, and again, it just feels like there's a whole lot of fucking smoke, and we're not being given gas max over here, so. Like a lot of fun drafting him early in the career, but it's really, are you like, how confident are you that we ever see the full Gibson experience this
1: year? Man. This uh, pop pop
0: this, no, <laughs> well, the, the crazy part though, like I, I don't feel confident in the Gibson experience this year. I feel like the hate may be going too far, but th- this is what's crazy to me. And when you say it like that, it's so real, but it also makes me so puzzled. Like this is a wide receiver in college that
2: we're talking about now isn't going to get the passing work. Like, I, I, that just blows my mind. And it's not a you thing. It's not like you're evaluating him wrong. It's a fucking... We just have to be able to be like, all right, like, this is what Ron Rivera and Washington's dumbass franchise wants to do with Antonio Gibson. Let me readjust my fucking brain and my logic. Yeah, you're right.
0: It's I, it's tough for us because, I mean, ever since you and Noah and Mike got me so hyped up for Antonio Gibson years ago, I just... I, I had this this itch in my heart for him, you know?
2: I see, he should be hitting right now. Like, it should be happening, but there's just something I just... I don't see the juice. I don't really see the elusiveness. I just don't see it when I watch him play. It just there's, hasn't been a lot coming out that I'm excited about.
0: Last thing I want to get on, you you compared him with Mixon. I I, I kind of want to ask you about this because Mixon had this same hate creeping around for several years. Do you see the potential for that Mixon breakout year for Gibson at some point?
2: Sure. Um, I think that Mixon – I think Mixon last year was who he had been every year of his career. He was still not involved in the passing game. Like – Samaj P. Ryan and Chris Evans were getting a sickening amount of work when Joe Mixon should be like the running back. Like If you owned him last year, you remember all the times he was taken off on the field. Mixon was the same player last year. as He was every other year. The Bengals just happened to afford him a ton of fucking scoring opportunities. And you loved if, if Antonio Gibson was in an offense as good as the Bengals are about to be. I would like Gibson as much as I like Joe Mixon. I don't like Mixon was a guy I was fading two years prior. And then last year I was I, I was only in two or three redraft leagues and I owned him in all of them fortunately right and even watching him play though i was like i don't see a ton that i love about Mixon. i love the fucking opportunity though i love the 20 touches i love that he's in on the goal line every fucking time they're down there but it doesn't feel like for gibson it almost feels like we'll know when he's gonna break out we'll know when washington turns the corner and they're a fucking 11 and 5 team that's getting a lot of scoring opportunities it's really easy to be like, OK, I'm back in on Gibson because we know that he's going to have a lot of scoring opportunities. That's how it felt with Mixon last year. You know, and I think that's how we can project Mixon again. Like, is anyone do you feel confident saying Mixon is now getting 60 just because he was good in fantasy last year? Is he going to get 60 receptions or 70 targets this year? Probably not. We're five years in. We know what he does. You know, like that's kind of how I feel about about Mixon. But his projection is a lot easier now that we know Cincinnati's an awesome offense.
1: That is incredible that you brought up the Joe Mixon thing. Because as you're talking about it, I can see the exact same thing where I'm staunchly defending Joe Mixon for years and years and years. And Adam and I had this conversation last year on one of our episodes that we did where it was like, all the people who are dunking on Joe Mixon, how you feeling now? And, yeah. <laughs> and what you're saying is he really didn't do anything out of the ordinary. He did just have a better offense, more scoring opportunities, more efficient. And then finally, when Joe Mixon becomes the Joe Mixon that we kind of all expected, or we're hoping for and you start at least producing like that not actually from like the receiving standpoint like you mentioned but yeah. actually producing fantasy fucking points like we expected now it's like in dynasty it's like well cool glad he did it by joe mixon like mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of time to get off of joe mixon <laughs> This seems eerily similar to how my fucking Antonio gives some. Gonna be now. Yeah, I mean, it really does. Of,
2: it's a pretty easy formula. I just feel like at the end of the day, if you're not getting enough pass catching work, look at the team. Just look at the offensive line, look at the scoring opportunities. If those are there, probably going to be pretty good or at least has a chance to be good. If it's not there, if you're a guy that's not getting pass catching work in a shitty uh, on a shitty team why the Kenneth Walker for redraft for season long is one of the easier fades I've seen in years right now you could like Kenneth Walker as a prospect you could think he's the best running back in this class over Brees Hall wouldn't argue against that but objectively man see Seattle's gonna be terrible Kenneth Walker ain't catching more than 25 passes this year he's such a fucking easy fade there I don't even care if a shot penny gets hurt like I still don't really want Kenneth Walker to be honest with you there's just it's just not enough juice there to hit hit a ceiling and I think um sometimes we get so wrapped up in numbers and analytics and shit that common sense kind of flies out the window and we can start actually looking at mistakes that we've made and be like, this is why, you know, this is the mistake I made with Joe Mixon. What's the difference here? Let me compare it to Antonio Gibson now. And you could start painting a little bit more of a clearer picture. Two two, two questions here that I want to get to. Um,
0: has the hate gone too far on Gibson first is what I want to get to. Mike and I, in our 4D process, we think about startup values and where they're going in startups, right? So when I think about Antonio Gibson, and I see that he's now currently being drafted in startups in Superflex Dynasty
2: Leagues, Nick, behind David Montgomery. Has the hate
0: Ooh. gone too far?
2: Uh, Yeah, in that sense, I would say Gibson over Montgomery for sure. I right. think it comes down to like – how you feel like I I feel very poorly about Gibson for this year in redraft from like an objective team situation standpoint. I don't really want a part of it. The next question I would ask myself is like, do I believe in Gibson's talent? Because that really supersedes what you should be looking for when it comes to long term dynasty play. I'm if I'm if I'm being like really truthful here, I'm having trouble getting on board with his talent from what I've watched, right? If you're someone who like values athleticism and just like analytics and stuff, you might like Gibson more than I do, but just from owning him a lot in redraft last year and watching him play, it just felt like something was missing there. So those are like the two key components I would go to his redraft value is going to be bad, but if I think he's really talented and he will put it all together, eventually that's when I'm like, yeah, that's where he's a dynasty buy for me. I find myself having trouble getting on board with Gibson long-term right now, because I, I'm still yet to see him like really do it at the NFL level. I would take him over Montgomery though. Cause Montgomery feels like he's a, a pretty easy bet to start like fading away pretty soon.
0: Well, I mean, in, in similar points that we've made today, like the bears aren't projecting to score a lot of points and be mm-hmm. a great offense. And David Montgomery's older and probably doesn't have the juice that Gibson has. I, I don't understand that one personally. So that's why I asked the question. Secondly, okay. when we get to Kenneth Walker, Let's talk similarly that we just did there about the dynasty and the redraft. Because I, I can kind of understand, like, in redraft, he's probably going to go to the point where, in those leagues, I'm not going to touch him just because I, I I really like the talent of Kenneth Walker. But in redraft, like, you're probably going to have to wait for him to get a workload. How good is the offense really going to be this year? All that, like, contender side or in redraft, I understand the fade. But for me in dynasty, I, I'm still very in on Kenneth Walker. He's –
2: um. I, I share the, probably the same sentiment as you. I'm not ov- overly targeting him in uh, in Dynasty. I don't think I walked away with any Dynasty um, of Kenneth Walker this year. I would have been fine drafting him if you felt to me. I think he, I had him at like the 106 in my ranking. So I had like the top three wide receivers, Brees Hall. I think I even would have taken Kenny Pickett over Kenneth Walker at the time because I feel a little bit more securely about him. But when I think about Kenneth Walker from redraft, all you have to do is look back at basically every fucking second round running back that's been taken over the last four years that everyone loves the talent of like you look at deandre swift you look at cam Akers, you look at jk dobbins you go back to miles sanders you go back to whoever the fuck it was last year every time it's the same story they need eight to ten weeks in order to even like start playing a significant time in like javante williams too he was cool for he was cool for redraft last year like towards the end of the year had a couple pop-off games. But it's just, it's just like notion that everyone just thinks you liking a player in college is going to translate to him getting a ton of, it just doesn't happen. Like first round running backs get picked in the first round because they're the immediate starter. Second round, third round running backs get picked because they're talented. They have the chance to compete for a very large role, but that's what it is. It's a competition for the first half of that year. Always with the second and third round rookie running backs, man. Very rarely do you have a second round running back rip right into a workhorse role. And then you have to ask yourself, like how valuable is a redraft player that, doesn't really crack my lineup for eight to 10 weeks you know and sometimes you can make the case like some people will say hey like I like to draft half of my team for the back half of the season I respect that that will definitely work if a player breaks out the last four weeks of the season but for me it's like the more expensive you get ADP wise and season long like the less I want to risk him sitting on my bench for so long you know six round fifth round fourth round ADP is just like crazy
0: man that's crazy because um it's exactly how I feel and and you hit on a few points that are basically why I'm so in on Kenneth Walker and Dynasty because it feels like there is way too much negative energy around him and Dynasty because I want you to think about this, Nick. You, you even alluded to Javante Williams. Like this is one – I'm not saying the player is a one-for-one one here, but Javante Williams to me is a is a mirror of why I still want Kenneth Walker. Javante Williams for the early part of the season, people are telling you you, you fucked up. Like Melvin Gordon's going to stay there. Mm-hmm. All it took was one game. For Melvin Gordon to not play, Nick. Javante Williams catching passes. That that Denver offense was horrible last year. And he's a first-round startup pick now, second round, before they got Russell Wilson. Like, Kenneth Walker, I think, can still give you that type of ascension late in the year. So in Dynasty, I'm in. But, like, yeah, in redraft, I mean, you're going to have to wait for half a season, if not longer, for him to break out. So
2: for me, I'm out in, in redraft. Yeah, it also goes back to the point that, like, what I was making with Gibson and Mixon, it's like, if you're on a, you know, if you're not really going to be catching passes, how good is the offense? And like, th- that probably limits your upside. Cause you're not, be, you know, Kenneth Walker could finish a year with four or five touchdowns. I don't think that's impractical whatsoever. I think it's like probably a realistic outcome and like how useful for fantasy is that going to be? It's not really going to catch passes, man. He's just, he wasn't a pass catcher in college. Doesn't mean he can't do it. But even looking back, Pete Carroll's, this is a, this is a number I found a few weeks ago, but like, Pete Carroll's entire tenure in Seattle, right? He's been there for, I think, like 12 years or something like that. The leading rusher in Seattle, every single year over those 12 years, the highest reception total was 37 receptions ever for a running back under the P. Carroll thing. So it's like, that's that's the ceiling for what these running back targets are looking like right now. And it's like Kenneth Walker as a rookie, Are we going to just pencil him in for 37? Fuck no. There's other players in the backfield who knows what the quarterback dumping off to the running back situation looks like. They got great targets on the outside that, you know, whoever is a quarterback probably feels more comfortable throwing the ball to. We don't know if Kenneth Walker's going to be in on third downs. Like there's so many fucking red flags here for Kenneth Walker that you can't just, it was one of the reasons I was hesitant for like Saquon Barkley. It's like, if your only fucking argument Objectively is that this dude is super talented. You should probably step back a little bit on it because bad team, bad line, bad quarterback. You know, they don't score. It's just there there are a lot of objective red flags I think people just overlook because they think their a talent evaluation is like always correct.
1: All right. Last one we'll get out of here for player analysis. Josh Jacobs has been a guy that I've starting to come around here in the last few weeks. Last couple of weeks. This all stems from Bob Long we had on last week from the fantasy football expo and talking about his consistency guide and just how consistent and good Josh Jacobs was last year. We're just talking about offenses that are efficient and provide more scoring opportunities. Josh Jacobs is a guy that I'm starting to get behind because of that offense being better with Devonte Adams there with Darren Waller, with Hunter Renfro Derek Carr has always been a quarterback that's been dumped on and shit on, but he's a very serviceable, solid quarterback. He, he can get the fucking job done. How are you feeling about Josh Jacobs? And this is this is going to hit home for your redraft because in Dynasty, I'm looking at Josh Jacobs as like next year, 2022, this is all I have. Maybe two years, but I'm looking at Josh Jacobs as a guy that I want on my contenders on the teams that I'm making a push for.
2: What say you, Nick? Yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. I like that we just kind of transferred over like what I was talking about for those other running backs straight into Josh Jacobs because I wasn't even really looking about him, uh, looking at him from that angle because it's like – we, You know, you said you just came around on him the last couple of weeks, and then there's a report like three days ago, you know, Josh Jacobs unlikely to receive, like, the bell cow roll. Yeah. But, again, I don't think we really look at Josh Jacobs as a guy who is going – like, we, we don't hinge his fantasy value on his passing numbers, right? We're not ex- – no. even though he was really good last year, like, under the radar, caught a lot of fucking balls. But that's not why you draft Josh Jacobs. You draft Josh Jacobs because he's going to get 18 to 20 carries a game. If he gets the goal line opportunity, man, he could randomly slug off a 12-touchdown season. Like, he could – very well be what Joe Mixon was last year and the more confident you are in the Raiders offense being able to provide him with those opportunities the more you should like Josh Jacobs even if we know he's only going to get 35 to 45 targets this year so um, I think that was, I think that was a really really strong point I think that's um, probably something I need to take a second look at because I was kind of off Josh Jacobs because if a player doesn't get me initially like super excited about them it's hard for me to like build the excitement up but Basically, if I'm being objective, I kind of made the point for him by making the point against Antonio Gibson.
0: What's interesting, though, is um, that, that's such a thing that everybody does, I feel like, now, right? We, we want the excitement, the flashy, sexy pick, right? But when you start getting later in redraft, and I, I don't know what his redraft um, ADP is, but at a certain 62. point, when you get to the cost of him, like you, you're now getting a safe, legit RB that has touchdown upside at a pretty reasonable price. And I think that's where... Bob Lung actually opened my eyes uh, before Mike was around on him too, that Josh Jacobs at value is makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, he's got a redraft ADP for underdog anyways at sixty two point six. So you're looking at fifth round plus.
2: What's in yeah, what's interesting too is six like six
1: round six round pick. Like that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah in my
2: opinion. This has got to be the highest touchdown upside season he could probably have. I I feel like, right? It's the best offense, but I mean, he scored seven touchdowns his rookie year, 12 the next year, nine last year, and none of those were even complete seasons. Right. So, yeah. double-digit touchdowns, certainly within the range of outcomes, and I would almost say likely because he's had zero receiving touchdowns in his career as well on 150 targets, 100 catches. Like that That almost for sure has to go up a little bit. I don't know, dude. J- Jacobson, I'm, I'm kind of in on that after this conversation, yeah.
1: So his red zone touches last year, he was number 17 in the league in 15 games. 43 red zone touches. So, you know, if you think that goes up to like 50, 55, somewhere in that range where that offense is more efficient, getting down the field, double-digit touchdowns, like you mentioned, is very, very likely for Josh Jacobs, barring health, barring health for him. He's just something – we were talking about the uh, the ADP, Adam. Like like I said, you're looking at sixth round in redraft. You're looking at seventh round in dynasty startup. Super it's flex
0: crazy, startup. crazy.
1: This is a guy who's going one pick ahead of Zeke in Dynasty. And all the reasons that we put Zeke up that high is some of the, oh, it's a good offense. He gets some of the touches. He gets the, the, the important touches, the, the goal line work. He's, he's going to be a touchdown machine. Why aren't we doing it for Josh Jacobs? Like, we look at some of those things, adding Devontae Adams. The offense gets more efficient. The offensive line isn't terrible. They're getting better. They're improving. They, right or wrong, how you feel about some of their draft picks and their reaches on taking Alabama fucking prospects in the first round, <laughs> that have like third round grades on them, Alex Leatherwood. But no matter how you feel about it, the offensive line is getting better. The offense is getting better. He's going to get some of the work. And and even though people want to be like, Oh, he's not getting the the bulk of the carries. Could we have like a Joe Mixon type season out of Josh Jacobs this year? I think it's very possible. Very, I'm not going to say probable, but that is something I'm willing to push my chips on for the cost because it doesn't cost you shit. You want Joe Mixon. I think Joe Mixon is probably, what, a second round, maybe a first round startup or a first round redraft pick. He's it's got a first piece. round, i think.
2: Uh, yeah, he's definitely back into first, maybe early second, depending on league settings.
1: What's fucking Matt Kelly always say? He uses the word arbitrage. right? Yeah. <laughs> is Josh Jacobs just fucking arbitrage Joe Mixon at this point? Like, you can get your receivers. If you're a receiver guy, take your Justin Jeffersons or your Mark Chase or your Cooper Cup or whoever the fuck you want and redraft. And stack those boys up, and then come back in the the sixth round and take Josh Jacobs.
2: Damn, I feel like this might be low key the take of the summer right here. Like Josh Jacobs is the arbitrage Joe Mixon.
1: I love go. that. Oh, we got we got a we got a
0: show name too. Um, <laughs> also, Dynasty. It's crazy how so much how things can change so much so quickly. I mean, Uncle Lenny is going ahead of Josh Jacobs in Dynasty. Man, think about that for a second in Dynasty.
1: Wow,
2: <laughs> that's so tough. Honestly, I don't even really know how much I like Jacobs and dynasty he's he's a scary prospect i kind of like to um one episode i really want to make this year on my channel is like what i'd call i guess like the perfect storm episode where it's like dudes i absolutely love in redraft this year but i'm really hesitant on for dynasty and jacobs i feel like might fit that like uh for instance like a darnell mooney or something might might get there like i don't know if i like the prospects of chicago wide receiver pass catchers long-term right if the, if chicago adds like a real alpha wide receiver one mooney's obviously not going to be a ceiling player for more than fucking a year or two years but i love him this year in redraft right. right he was so good with justin fields last year in like the four or five games where he where he played with or without Allen robinson jacobs might fit into that category for me because these running backs just like fall off a cliff so fucking quickly but um but i look, Man, i, I love like that idea
0: for you too because i i think that's something that um the more dynasty i play sometimes I think that e- e- dynasty degenerates, that's everyone that's listening here, right? We're so dynasty mindset. Sometimes when we do the redraft leagues, we're kind of a little like formed in our mind on the dynasty side. And we lose out on like redraft players like Josh Jacobs. Cause we're like, Oh man, I- I'm cool. I'm just, I'm out on the Josh yeah. Jacobs bullshit. Right. So th- I love that series for you as far as like, love the redraft, but still a little bit hesitant on the dynasty side. Um, someone in your fade the fetal league that I'm overly excited about. I know Mike is, I would love to hear your redraft expectations and thoughts on uh, Rashad Bateman since we kind of switched to receiver
2: in the Darnamu talk. Damn, I'm excited about Bateman this year, man. Um, Bateman, I'm always a little bit hesitant to like, to, I guess I've been a little bit less hesitant now that we've just seen rookies explode, but I feel like everyone's expecting, no No one ever expects gradual progression anymore. Like Bateman realistically didn't do shit as a rookie, right? very, very, uh low bar set as a rookie in terms of production. And not everyone goes from like 20 catches to 120 catches, right? We would basically okay, so a rookie wide receiver, I think pretty objectively, like comes in, goes 50 for 750 and six touchdowns. That's a really good building block to like break out with afterwards. I wouldn't be shocked if Bateman had like a building block year. As opposed to a year where everyone's expecting him to break out and like play the Hollywood role, kind of not role, but like production wise immediately. And Andrews really steps in as like the, the Kelsey Kelsey to this fucking offense first. Um, but overall, he's a dude that I'm so excited about as a prospect that I will be taking him in a redraft just because I want the excitement of owning Bateman. I, I loved him coming out of college. I think he's such a pure, pure route runner and has like a lot of Justin Jefferson to his game. I'm a little bit worried statistically that we're probably getting over our skis a little bit, but like, fuck it, man. He's, he's a fun player. He's a guy that I just like so much that I'm, that I'm okay throwing numbers and expectations aside and being like, I want Bateman on my team. Cause I, I believe personally that he's such a good player.
1: That's been huge for us. Like you, you're talking about the building block years for us tracking dynasty values. We track them in startup terms. Uh, we, we've talked about it before. Devonte Smith set rookie Eagles receiving records and somehow lost value before the AJ yeah. Brown trade, before they lost value going in. Like he was going around later than he was in startups, you know, last August, which is wild to me that people just expect right now. You need to come in. You need to be Jalen Waddle. You need to be Jamar Chase. You need to be Justin Jefferson right out the gate. Those are the kind of guys like you're the, they're, they're the, uh, the unicorns, the ones that that hit the Kyle pits of the world, the same kind of thing, The guys who actually hit, I don't think we need to expect that for rookies. And then from the redraft perspective, I've really come around to, and especially when I look at my dynasty contenders, the teams that I'm trying to compete and win championships in, more from a redraft focus, I'm not investing a lot in rookie wide receivers or rookie players in general, whether it be what we talked about earlier with the Kenneth Walkers, because they do have that ramp up time. They do have that time where it takes to get their feet wet, to get into it. I, I think the overall sentiment for me is going to be if I'm on a dynasty contender or if I'm in a redraft league, I'm probably just passing on rookies. I'm just going to, I don't want them. Like I'll let somebody else pay the price for them. But the second year guys, these are the guys that highly intrigue me. These are the guys I'm willing to be like plant my fucking flag and be like Rashad Bateman's my motherfucking guy this year. And I'm going to go get him yeah. because of, he's had that time to get his feet wet, to build, to get acclimated, to being in the NFL.
0: Man, we, we it's so funny because we just watched uh, the Warriors win another fucking title last night, right? And it feels like Steph Curry, you know? Like, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are Steph Curry. Like, Steph Curry's ruined the game a little bit. Just that, like, he's yep. so good and so ridiculously different that, like, you, you expect every everyone's not Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. It's not normal to reset the rookie record year in and year out, man. Yeah,
2: like, dude, check. I, I just went up quickly and grabbed some, like, yearly game logs from a few wide receivers that took a very normal step-by-step-by-step process to get to where they are today, which is what 99% of the fucking good wide receivers. Okay, you look at like Deontay Johnson, his rookie year, 680 yards. His sophomore year, 923 yards. Last year, almost 1,200 yards. Very normal progression. Wow. People don't remember, Stephon Diggs took four years to top 1,000 yards. Four fucking years to top 1,000 yards, all right? So when you look at these guys, like there's a really good chance that Rashad Bateman has 850 yards this year. Great step up. Like, we know he's on the on the scale to get to the next level, but 850 is not really moving the fucking needle in, as far as fantasy football is concerned. I mean, Stefan Diggs, 720, 903, 849, 1020, 1130, and then the 1,500-yard season. Like, we know these guys are really fucking good, but a lot of times, like, lightning needs to strike for that perfect season to happen. Most guys take a slow progression, good rookie year, very good sophomore year. Breakout here. Like that's how it usually happens. So, Bateman, we haven't really even seen the first step, which is what makes me statistically a little bit pull back on him. Interesting
0: because I, I mean I fully agree with a lot of the stat points of that. I'm going to say from a non stat point why I'm even more bullish on Bateman, I think, than most people. So, last year, if you think about last year, right, as a rookie, he has this core muscle injury and he can't play early, right? Mm-hmm. So, he has to come in and try to find himself a role in a low passing offense that already has Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown established, right? So he's got to find himself in that role. And he actually did solid. The only thing he didn't really do, he didn't score any touchdowns. He had one touchdown, right? Now think about this. Now he has all camp running as the number one receiver, and he's going to be fully acclimated to the offense. Hollywood Brown's out of town. And his his workload is just, even if that's a low passing offense, is sizably increased. Um, plus the comfortability of him being the one that that I think is baked into why I'm really bullish on Bateman especially at cost man he's not going to cost you anything crazy right now
2: yeah it's fair like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're sitting back here at the end of the season and Bateman goes you know 90 for 1150 and seven eight touchdowns or something like that it wouldn't surprise me at all the other concern i, I kind of have with baltimore's offense though the way they played last year is definitely not the way they want to play all That's the running true. backs that got injured. Like there was no, ch- they were so pass heavy. They were like wildly pass heavy for any other year that they've played with Lamar Jackson. I think we'll see that volume dip down like really tremendously. If the running backs can stay on the field,
0: man. All right. So we need to get Nick out of here. Cause we've already taken up so much of his time <laughs> and uh, I know his time is extremely valuable. So I'm going to give you one point that I learned from you, Nick. And when you, since you went here, I feel like it's a good time to bring this up. we like to target, players coming off of ACL injuries, not the following year, two years removed from them, right? And you talk about the running game. J.K. Dobbins is coming off not just an ACL tear, but an LCL tear, and there's some concerns about him right now. So if he's not ready to go, Gus Edwards also is coming off an ACL. What are you doing with those two guys, Dynasty Redraft? Are you concerned? And then how much does that bake into the Ravens offense? Uh, Kind of a last question. Nick or on the spot deal here.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely concerned with both those guys for for redraft and dynasty. Um, with redraft in particular, the injury scares the shit out of me. One lesson I have learned, though, is, you know, I do like to take them two years removed, but I think there should be a little bit leeway. the younger a player is, the quicker they can usually come back at full strength. However, basically any resource that I've listened to or consumed that covers the injuries as it's related to like J.K. Dobbins and fantasy football in general, Every single person has a concern with the way he's coming back, the the time frame, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm concerned with J.K. Dobbins. I don't know if he's going to have as much explosion as he did pre, at least for this year. And the problem with that is, like, dude, so much of dynasty running back value is built on momentum. It's like you have this small window to capture your fucking moment, and if you don't, there's a good chance you kind of missed it. Like, you could still be a good ass player in the league, but like maybe this last year was the year that Dobbins goes for 22 touches a game. And then he cements himself as the back. Maybe they just think about him a little bit differently coming off the ACL tear. And he never really gets that opportunity again. So I think that needs to be weighed into a little bit because these, the lifespans of running backs are so short that like your window for greatness is as short as your lifespan overall, any years that you miss, any time that you miss, you know, it's, um, it's probably cliche to say, but it's just, you know, it's, it's really tough on the dynasty value of a player. So I think that needs to be factored in doesn't need to be black and white, but like, Maybe rather than taking him in the third round of a startup, you really only take him in the fourth round of a startup. But right? I think if you do that with all players accordingly, then your team is built pretty well rounded when it comes to risk, red flags, injury concerns, all that kind of shit.
1: I know I'm starting to shit my pants on J.K. Dobbins. That's <laughs> that's my big takeaway. I'm starting to shit my pants on this season. J.K. Dobbins, all the shares I have. Nick, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Um, you have changed the game for content creators. Like everybody is kind of molding themselves or, or taking some of your cues on how you do things on how you grew your brand into what it is and, and trying to apply those. Like, I know ne- I don't want to be Nick or I want to be myself. I want to be the teardown King. I want to be McNutted, but I can definitely mm. take away some of the things that you do and be like, Jesus, man, how did you even think of this? So thank you so much for being on. It was a, a huge honor to be able to talk to you and chop it up with you a little bit. Anything that you wanted to plug out there in case these fucking people who listen to us are asleep and don't know who the there's, fuck you are? I can't imagine. And,
0: I can't imagine there's anyone that listens to us that doesn't know Nick. Um, so they I, fucking shit. That, that being said, <laughs> if you don't, please listen to these plugs because this
2: man is the goat out here. Thank y'all. Um, I, no, nah, I appreciate you guys having me. I had a fucking blast. It's always good. During these summer months, I get caught up in all the bullshit going on with my team and stuff. So it's good to chop it up with people that I don't typically um, do it with and get different viewpoints and angles and. Um, random shit just starts coming out of my mouth so I start realizing things that I didn't even know I felt, you know, it's like a therapy session for me of sorts, so I had a fucking blast, thank you guys for having me, um, if the rest of you guys out there don't follow us, uh, want to check us out we are on YouTube pretty much at BDG stands for Big Dogs Gotta Eat, so you'll uh, you'll find us there, you'll see the logo with the fork, the spoon, and the bow tie
1: ooh yeah, and make sure you got what, what's that, tuck your shirt in yeah. stop yelling,
0: keep, keep the shirts tucked <laughs> keep them tucked, stop yelling, let's see.
1: I'm too fat to tuck my shirt in. I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't do you it. To, Adam you need a bigger shirt. Come on, that's true, man. I need that, to go to the three X.
0: That that's gonna do it for us here. Big dogs, destination Devi and four D all wrapped up in one. Uh, really appreciate you guys tapping in. And just remember, when your league mates are playing chess, play forty chess.
1: That's gonna do it. We're out of here. Peace.